0: Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardeen, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. This morning, actually, I want to address our epistle reading. St. Paul uses some very creative phrasing in our epistle, actually. He describes our new life with, a, with an artful twist. He begins in verse 12 of chapter 8, saying, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Now, a debtor is one who is in debt. They owe something to someone, usually money. Money. The word here can also be translated uh, as obligation. Brethren, we are debtors or brethren, we have an obligation. In what way, we can ask initially, in what way might we be debtors? Well, in the gospel parables, our debt is associated with our sin. Our sin is seen as a debt held against us, which of course we know joyously has been paid by another our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this way, debt is sort of a negative. But the scriptures actually also speak of us owing a debt in a positive sense. St. Paul says in Romans 1 that he's a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians because he owes them the gospel. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. We owe the world the good news. We are in debt. And we are obliged to preach the Gospels, to be witnesses, martyrs for Christ with St. Paul. Romans 13 says that we actually owe a debt, same Greek word here, we owe a debt of love to God and to our neighbor, and that when this debt is paid, we have fulfilled the law. So here, in a positive sense, we owe a debt of love. Also, Ephesians 5, ladies, take note. Your husbands owe you a debt. (laughs) Sorry to have put it this way, but this is what Paul said, not me. Doesn't sound very romantic, does it? (laughs) They are obliged to love you. It's a metaphor, okay? (laughs) But the word is the same. The word is the same. Ought. 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 You not love your wives ought. It's the exact same word as debt. It's an obligation. It is a debt of love that men that husbands owe their wives. So the scriptures speak of owing a debt, both in the negative, in the case of sin, and in positive sense. Our debt of sin, our debt of love, in response to what God has done for us. St. Paul's use of this idea of debt here in our epistle reading today. very creative. It's an artful twist. He uses, he begins with what sounds like a positive statement. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. And then suddenly, he switches it into a negative. Not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh. Right? That's how sometimes the kids say it in modern idiom. We are debtors, not. (laughs) That's what he's saying. This started with Paul a long time ago. We might expect him, if we didn't know what was coming next, we might expect him to say something to follow up the negative with a positive, right? That would just make sense that he would say something like, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, but to the spirit. That would sound reasonable. That's what we would expect. But he doesn't say that. He never follows up with any phrase indicating what we are debtors to. He just says, we are debtors, not to the flesh, and leaves it at that. We're left with this oddly phrased negative statement that we are debtors, not to the flesh. Now, hopefully, as I continue, you will see how this creative phrasing actually communicates and supports the message that St. Paul is trying to get across in this particular passage. To be to be not to not be in debt to the flesh basically means that the flesh has no rights over us it has no it exercises no control over us we are free from its influence and its power we do not we are not obliged we are not obliged to submit to the demands of our flesh and we know our flesh makes demands It has appetites and desires that pull upon us and weigh upon us. Paul is saying we are free from any obligation to submit ourselves to fleshly demands. We know know that our bodies were created good by God. And yet now they are corrupt, mortal, and the flesh here sarks as used by Paul in this case, refers not only to the mortal body of sin, but along with that, all of the fallen, corrupt human passions, that principle of sin that permeates our lives, those sinful passions and desires, appetites, that draw us away from God and toward self. St. Paul is saying that We do not have to oblige this. We do not, essentially, we do not have to sin. And he warns us, he follows it up with a warning by saying that if you live according to the flesh, if you do follow this pattern, that you will die. That's pretty simple. If you get on a train going to L.A., you're going to end up in L.A. If you give in to the ruling passions of the flesh, you will die because the flesh is corrupt and mortal. It's dying. It's on a fast track to death. If you attach yourself to friends who are on their way to hell, just a little warning, guess where you're going to end up. If you get in the car with them, and that's where they're headed, you're going there with them. Young people. The scriptures warn us about this again and again. St. Paul goes on to say, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice that in order to live, you have to do something negative, not positive. Stick with me just for a moment. You have to put to death the deeds of the body. You will live when you have killed something. You need to kill something in order to live. In this passage, Paul is emphasizing, as I said, in a very creative manner, that there is nothing positive you contribute in order to live rather there is something you must destroy in order to live it's not what you need to do to live it's another way of putting it it's not what you need to do to live it's what you need to stop doing to live now let me just interject because I know this might sound a little confusing at the moment that this is not the only way to express things, the way that he is expressing things in this particular passage. There are other positive ways of putting things about how we are to be saved and redeemed and have life in God. And they all serve their purpose, depending on the point that's trying to be made. This passage, and also in Romans 6, we read this morning in Matins, I'm going to read that to you before we close today, but this passage Paul is using a very creative approach to get you to think about something very very profound and as I continue hopefully it will be made more clear once again it is not what you need to do to live it's what you need to stop doing so that ye may live in other words you do not you do not need to create anything contribute anything come up with anything in order to have life to foster life to soar with God but you do need to kill something Paul is emphasizing that we do not contribute anything to our life in Christ did you contribute anything to your first birth anyone here did anyone here ask you didn't even ask to be born which opens up a whole can of worms there. Nobody asked to be born. None of you did anything to contribute to your very life, your very existence. Nothing. In the same way, you do not contribute to your heavenly birth. It is God's free gift of life to you. When you were born in the font of baptism, you received from God The gift of life. Verse 15. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out Abba Father. This life that you have received. This life. This is the divine energy of God. It is pulsing through you. And with no contribution from you. It is of and from God alone. And it was freely poured out into your very person. It abides in you. It fills you. It has made you a new creature. And this very life will carry you up to God. It will take you to the lofty heights of a glorious exaltation. This goodness and power of God is at work in you to bring you to God. And you don't need to do anything to help it along. You don't contribute an iota to it. It's like rocket fuel that God pours into your person that will propel you with great force unto glory. So we may ask, if this power of life which we have received is at work in us without any contribution from us, then why aren't we being hurled into heavenly bliss? I mean, you're all sitting there on your derrieres. I don't see anybody levitating at the moment. So we are all kind of still a little earthbound. Now some saints. What about them? At any rate, we might say, wait a minute. There's a conflict here in my experience and what you're saying. Well, that's a good question. Well, that's because there's a catch. There's a catch. And this brings us back to St. Paul's artful locution and the message of this passage. We received. We did not earn or contribute to. We received from God himself. What did we receive? God himself. I.e. the Holy Spirit. That's what we received. God has nothing to give us of any value other than himself. We received from God. God himself. The Holy Spirit. We were made children of God. We were made heirs of Christ. Because he is our elder brother. The promise that what is his. Is ours. And this new life will bring us with a great and unstoppable force into glory. Except for one small thing. And while this very small thing is so very small, it can still keep us from the new life we have received. There is one way that we must involve ourselves in order for this Great force to bring us up into perfection, and the way we involve ourselves is by putting to death by the spirit the deeds of the body. We have a negative role to play. Think of it like this. We're poised at the gate. Maybe it's you know the Kentucky Kentucky Derby, you know, and the horse is all, wound up and he's pushing against the gate and he's ready to go we're pushing against the rope we're we're on the track we're rumbling with this tremendous power and nothing can stop us these new creatures we are by the spirit the most natural thing in the world for us is to propel forward to actually excel in holiness to soar why don't we Because there's a tether, we are tethered to the earth by sinful passions. This is the message that Paul is trying to get across. We can't be who we really are and live and soar because of the simple failure to kill something. You don't need to come up with anything in order to live. God has already taken care of everything. He's given you everything. You just need to stop doing some things. Those things that keep you from living. You need to cut the cord of sin that holds you back. When you do that, you'll shoot off like a rocket. This is just one way of expressing what life in Christ is about, this passage, this way that Paul puts it. But it's a very creative way, actually. The genius of him focusing on our negative role has an ironic twist of helping us to understand that we have been made holy by God's gift, and all we have to do is start being who we are by killing the old man. With his deeds, and then we will naturally soar. The balloon filled with hot air, it wants to get off the ground, you know, it's straining to soar into the sky. We just gotta snip the ropes, just cut the tether, and off it goes. That's how Paul's wanting us to think about this. It's so easy to be holy, it's so hard to be sinful. Paul, Paul, why are you? Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the goads? Sometimes when I'm talking to people in confession, maybe I've asked you this in confession before. It's something I often say. I ask myself, you know, when I sin, I'm like, why am I this? It's stupid? Right? Sin is stupid. It's just stupid. Why would you do that? Like, do, does anybody here, when they sit down to, you're going to go home and have lunch today, hopefully? And you're going to pick up your fork, you know, and you're going to stab your roast beef or whatever it is you're having. Does anybody here have any problem resisting the great temptation to jab the fork into their eye? (laughs) Then why do we keep sinning? It's no different. It's just as ridiculous to be hateful, unforgiving, faithless, as it is to jab a fork in your eye. I was talking to some young people up at camp this week. A wonderful talk. And one of the young men some um, a question about how we keep from, as, as Western right Orthodox, how do you keep from slipping into, you know, Heresy. <laughs> As if it's like you're like it's like a banana peel or something. I you know I'm just gonna <laughs> accidentally slip into heresy because I'm Western right. I'm thinking, how does anybody keep from slipping into heresy? i try trying to think. Sometimes I like to say shocking things. You may not realize that. I'm just trying to be like Jesus. He said shocking things all the time and so I turned to him. Maybe I shouldn't repeat this, but um, I turned to him. I was trying to think of something to say. He was kind of this, this, this fellow. He's a great guy, but he's got a bit of bravado, and so when I meet people with bravado, I kind of you know give it back to them a little bit. <laughs> so when he asked me that, I'm thinking, how do I respond to this? So I looked at him, and I said, do you have any problem not walking out into the field there and eating poop, dog poop? <laughs> and he was like, I said, it's not a trick question. (laughs) Finally, he said, no. And I said, well, I don't have any problem not embracing heresies either. But honestly, that's the spirit of what Paul is saying. That's the spirit of Paul's message. And when we grasp that, we know it's not, there is a struggle, because there's the other side of the message. There is that side, I'm not being naive. We understand that we're in this corrupt body of sin, which is a fight. It's a spiritual warfare that we're in. There is a struggle. But part of winning the struggle, one of the great weapons, the great weapon of our warfare is what? Faith. Belief in the truth. And the truth is Christ is risen. So why are you jabbing yourself in the eye with a fork? You've been made a new creature. This is not natural to who you are. You're being something you're not. And it's much easier to be who you are. If you plant a tree, the tree just, it grows up, right? It just grows up. You don't have to do anything to make it grow up. It just grows that way because that's what trees do. If you tie a rope to it, and pull it over when it's a little sapling, it's not gonna grow up. But if you cut the rope, It'll grow. It'll grow towards the sky. And this is Paul's message. Kill the deeds of the body and you will flourish. You will see God. You will be filled with love for all. You will soar because this is who and what God has made you to be. Be who God has made you to be. It is not hard for an eagle to soar. It's not hard for a tree to grow. It's not hard for rain to fall from the sky. And it's not hard for you to love God. To be humble, to forgive, to give yourself and sacrifice. Everything contrary to these things is actually hard. To sin is hard. To hold on to thorns so tightly that they're eating into your flesh. That's hard. These things are not hard for those who have been made new in Christ. Who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who within us cries out, Abba, Father, those who have been made sons of the Most High. I encourage you to read our epistle lesson from Matins this morning from Romans chapter 6, verse 12. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.